Lord, it's a great privilege to be able to come and share your word today, and we pray that uh, we will honor you in doing so, and that you'll speak through us during this particular time as we look at your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We've all suffered loss of loved ones over the course of our lives. Some of us that are older have suffered uh, loss more, and uh, you kind of wish you could see that person again. You know, sometimes you wake up and just wish, well, I wish I could see them again. I wish I could talk to them again. And in our study today, we're going to see great loss, uh, but also great gain. And uh, let me begin with the, the words to a song. Uh, the gates and doors were barred, all the windows fastened down. I spent the night in sleeplessness and rose at every sound. Half in hopeless sorrow and half in fear today would find the soldiers breaking through to drag us all away. That's from Don Francisco, it's a, a ballad or a song he wrote entitled He's Alive, and it's his interpretation of the fear and the dread that the disciples had after Jesus had been crucified. Great loss, losing Christ. Happened really fast. And, um, and the disciples went into hiding because they didn't know what else to do. And, and my guess is the first day or two, they, they just wanted Jesus back. And uh, let, let's look at the, the biblical people who wanted Jesus back. So to speak. And um, there it goes. First of all, would be the disciples, and Jesus had been crucified with his body placed in a tomb. The disciples, never putting two and two together uh, until they were enlightened by the Holy Spirit, thought the kingdom was going to be set up on earth. Uh, that was their understanding. That was not correct, but that's what they were, that's what they were thinking. And um, that's not what went down. The religious leaders of the day um, pressured the local governor to have Christ crucified, and he died. A wealthy follower of Jesus gave up his, his tomb for the purpose of Jesus, took his body, and uh, prepared it for burial, and then covered the entrance with the large stuff. You know the whole story. No one believed he would rise again. And, and it doesn't appear to be in the minds of the disciples at all, despite the fact that Jesus often mentioned he would rise. According to one source, it is mentioned in the Gospels 21 times. Now, that's a repeat of several others, but let's look at a couple of these. In Mark chapter 8, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, probably close to yours as well. In Mark chapter 8, the, the author of Mark, which is Mark, um, wrote in verse 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests, and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and rebuked him, and it goes on. But this is Mark now recounting what was told to him about Jesus saying that he was going to die and then rise again. We go to the next chapter, where now you got the, if you have the red letter edition, you see that Jesus is going to be talking here in chapter 9, verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask. Despite this, it doesn't appear that the resurrection is on the minds of the disciples at all. It was on the minds of the religious leaders. Not that he would rise again, they didn't believe that, but they figured the disciples would steal the body 
And, and at that point then, say that he had risen from the dead. And that's the reason for the guards that were placed at the tomb, for the seal that was put on the tomb. But the disciples were too dense for even that. This does not make sense to them at all. All the disciples wanted was Jesus. Just give me Jesus is what they would have said, what they would have declared. Bring back the days when he called us and we followed. Let us, let us see him perform more miracles and preach great sermons. And, and then there was the times that he spent with them alone. And, and oh, how they wished that that could happen again. Just give us Jesus. Well, then there were two followers of Jesus on the day of resurrection. They happened to be traveling to Emmaus for business, about seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked and talked, the stranger joined their trip when he feigned not knowing anything that had recently taken place. Dr. Luke records in Luke chapter 24, they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? And Jesus said to them, What things? Luke continues, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Ah, he did redeem Israel. <laughs> he just did it in a different way, didn't he? They didn't understand that. Uh, they even had some conflicting reports from earlier that day, and back to Don Francisco, and just before the sunrise heard something at the wall, the gate began to rattle and a voice began to call. Hurrying to the window, I looked down into the street, expecting swords and torches and the sound of soldiers' feet. But there was no one there but Mary. So I went down to let her in. John stood there beside me as she told us where she'd been. She said they moved him in the night and none of us knows where. The stone's been rolled away and now his body isn't there. They noted that some of the women came upon an empty tomb and spoke with some angels who said Christ was alive, which these men thought was a vision. So the two disciples, John and Peter, decided that they would go to the empty tomb, and, uh, and they did. John outrunning Peter. Peter's the one that went in it, and, and here's Don Francisco talking as if he's Peter. We both ran toward the garden, and John ran on ahead. We found the stone and the empty tomb, just the way Mary had said. But the winding sheet they wrapped him in was just an empty shell. And how or where they had taken him was more than I could tell. Well, something strange had happened there. Just what I did not know. John believed the miracle, but I just turned to go. Circumstance and speculation couldn't lift me very high, because I had seen them crucify him. Then I saw him die. Perhaps, if interviewed at this moment, Peter, John, these two disciples would have said, just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. And at this point, they would be referring to his body for proper burial. The same goes with Mary. She remained at the garden tomb after the other women left. And from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, we see her account. Hearing in the tomb, she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. John 20, verse 12 and 13. He was confused. He was befuddled. 
held in his body and missing. Who would do such a thing? Where is he? Turning, she sees someone she assumes is the gardener, who asks why she's weeping and who does she seek. Through her tears she cries, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. At that very moment, if she were asked what she wants, no doubt it would be, just give me Jesus. Just give me the body of Jesus. Fast forward a couple days. Thomas, who had not been with the others when Jesus revealed himself to them after the resurrection, did not believe the disciples that they had seen him. He thought maybe they saw a, a vision. Unless he said, I place my finger into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe, he said. Sometimes Thomas gets a bad rap. We call him Doubting Thomas, don't we? You know, and I thought it was interesting what Timothy Keller, a preacher from New York, said in a sermon. He noted that Thomas's doubt about Jesus' resurrection did not stem from a place of pride, but rather from a state of deep and painful grief. Keller keenly observed that Thomas had just lost his best friend and, and the man he believed to be his personal savior. Keller continued, so while some might read his story and judge him for his disbelief, Jesus understood Thomas and what he was going through. He understood his heart, the heavy burden. That's why we see Jesus appear to him with tender care, showing him the exact scars he had asked to see in order to believe. That puts it in a little bit of a different light uh, when you think of it that way. It very well could be. These followers of Jesus were totally distraught. If asked, what do you want? They would have said, just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Well, was their prayer answered? Back to John Francisco and his song. Suddenly the air was filled with strange and sweet perfume. Light that came from everywhere drove shadows from the room. Jesus stood before me with his arms held open wide. And I fell down on his knees and just he raised me to my feet and I looked into his eyes. Love was shining out for him like sunlight from the skies. Guilt in my confusion disappeared in sweet release. And every fear I'd ever had was melted into peace. And then the chorus, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive and I'm forgiven. Heaven gates are open wide, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive and I'm forgiven. Heaven gates are open wide, he's alive, he's alive. Every Easter Sunday, we talk about this. We should reserve it just to Sunday, um, just to Easter Sunday, because it's every Sunday. That's why we're here today, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They got him back. He appeared to many, and many ascended into heaven via a cloud, and they, they stared and watched, probably with their mouths wide open. Men of Galilee, Luke records, a couple angels saying to the disciples in Acts 1, Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I don't know about you, but I wish it were today. Wouldn't that be nice, Roger, if it were today? I'm in favor of today. Uh, and soon, and very soon, we wish that he would. But what do we do in the meantime? Well, our cry might be the same thing. Give me Jesus. Uh, 
just give me Jesus because we know what, what he has done for us. Our, our love for him would want him to be closer. So how do we get Jesus? Well, there's another poem, another song that, uh, that I want to feature this morning. And it's an old spiritual that goes by the title, Give Me Jesus. That's where the title of the sermon came from, incidentally. And it's found, <coughs> it found its way into hymnals back in the 1860s. Since then, many artists have either recorded the original or more commonly put their own spin on this classic ditto. One modern version goes, has three stanzas. In the morning when I wake, in the morning when I wake, in the morning when I wake, give me Jesus. Like that. Second stanza is, when I am alone, again repeated three times, and the third one is, when I come to die. And the chorus is simply, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, just give me that is our prayer, we know that we can't have them in a physical sense, not yet. Um, the pictures don't suffice. But in a spiritual sense, we can have them. In fact, I'd like to give you top ten reasons. This won't take long, so don't, don't worry here. Um, top ten ways to give me Jesus. I used to be known for doing top ten lists when I was pastoring, and, uh, and I got one for you uh, that we'll mention in passing before we continue on to lighten the mood here a little bit. It's the top ten signs you may not be reading your Bible enough. All right, you're not reading your Bible enough. Number ten, the preacher announces the sermon is from Genesis, as you're doing right now, and you have to check the table of contents. All right? <laughs> Number nine, you think Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob may have had a few hit songs during the 1960s. <laughs> Number eight, you open the Gospel of Luke in a World War II savings bond falls out. That would be pretty cool if that happened. Number seven, your favorite Old Testament patriarch is Hercules. Number six, a small family of woodchucks has taken up residence in the Psalms of your Bible. Number five, you become frustrated because Charlton Heston isn't listed in either the Concordance or the Ten Commandments. Number four, you catch your kids reading the Song of Solomon to your demand, who gave you that stuff? Number three, you think the minor prophets worked in quarries. Uh, number two, you keep falling for it every time when the pastor tells you to turn to First Hezekiah. And the number one sign, you might not be reading your Bible enough. The kids keep asking too many questions about your usual bedtime story, Jonah, the shepherd boy, and his ark of many colors. Um, okay, enough of that. Top ten ways to get Jesus. Number one, this is a level one. Number one is to love other people. The apostles summed up to us God's love in 1 Corinthians in the love chapter. I'm not going to read it to you, but, but that is an example of the type of love that we should have for others. Letting God love flow through us is the key to this. You can love anyone if you'll do that. When you let God's love flow, flow through you, it will empower you to love even those people who are difficult. Uh, to love, those whose personalities and behavior kind of clash with you. Rather than just avoiding them or tolerating difficult people, choose to show God's love to them. 
It'll bless you in the process because God will be using you to grind off the weak edges of your character and make you stronger. Concerning Jesus' love, uh, there was no conditions to his love. He died for the murderer, for the rapist, for the liar, for all sinners, as he was all of us. With his body, he paid the price and endured the punishment that was meant for us. Uh, he did it to save us because he loved us, even though he didn't deserve, even though we didn't deserve his love. So the question is, are you loving unconditionally? Do you love the beggar or the homeless person the same way that you love the pastor of your church? And uh, let me put a promo in for Pastor Appreciation Month. They didn't have that when I was a pastor, although the last couple years they did. But getting a note from people is always a wonderful thing. So, and then that crisp hundred dollar bill uh, means so much. <laughs> no, just the note. The card of the note is what the Every single follower of Jesus can love the way God has asked them to. Romans 5 5 reads, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Therefore, the love of God is already in us. We just need to let it out of us and to share with other people. Romans 13, 8, Let no debt remain outstanding except a continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 25, 40, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You love a person, you're loving God. So there's number one, choose love. Secondly, um, choose humility comes from Philippians 2, 4 through 8. Even though Jesus was the king of kings, he didn't come to, to be served as king. He came to serve. You know, with the passing of, uh, of the queen in England, uh, there's all sorts of articles about the, the royals. And, uh, and I was reading an article about now King Charles and and. His demands of his staff is just uncanny. You know, in, in the morning, his toothbrush has to have toothpaste put on there by one of his servants. Uh, and I, I think he does an inch of toothpaste, and it better be right. Uh, and it lists a whole bunch of other things, which is just ridiculous. That's not why Jesus came. He came to serve, uh, not to be served. In verse 3 of Philippians 2, tells us how to have the humility of Jesus do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself. And then verses four through eight tell about the humility of Christ, and we need to follow that example. A lot of people get humility wrong. Being humble doesn't mean that you're a wimp or that you put yourself down and let people walk over you. Being humble is putting God and his will first and treating others as you would want to be treated Number eight, surrender to God. Romans 6.13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Surrender is a battle term. It means laying down your weapons, um, giving all your rights over to the conqueror, and it's kind of the same way with Christ, um, although he's not... Our enemy. Um, God has a plan for our lives, and surrendering to Him means it's going to be better than the plan that we have for our lives. The good news is that God's plan is always the best for us, Jeremiah 29 11, unlike our own plans that often lead to destruction. 
Our Lord is a wise and a benevolent victor. He conquers us to bless us. So surrendering to him is what we need to do. Number seven, seek first his kingdom. Comes from Matthew 6, 3. In one sense, the kingdom of God came not in the coronation of a mighty king, but in the birth of a crying baby. Yet as Jesus' ministry begins in Mark, he announces the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. What Israel had long awaited, Christ had now inaugurated. And in the second coming of Christ, Jesus returns as a triumphant warrior king. Uh, where he will have the name inscribed on his body, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In the meantime, like when he sent out the 12 or the 72 to do kingdom work, he's sending us out as well. And this brings us into the Great Commission and into evangelism, which, I, which is, I think, uh, the same thing as seeking first his kingdom, because his kingdom is made up of those who are followers of Christ, and those who are followers of Christ need to be added to the kingdom as they present the gospel to others. So choosing his kingdom is being like Christ who did so on the cross and everything he did. That's how you get Jesus. And then being obedient to him. 2 Corinthians 2, 7 verse 1. Several things to note about obedience. We're called to obedience. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. Secondly, true Christian obedience flows from a heart of gratitude for the grace that we received from the Lord. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, that you present your body as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Thirdly, God rewards obedience. A great example of this is the children of Israel. When they were following him and they were obedient, he blessed them. When they turned against him, he did not, and they experienced the curses. So he rewards blessing. Obedience can be hard, can be scary. Requires lots of faith, but obedience is greatly rewarded. Fourthly, obedience leads to holiness, to a life that is separated from God, which is what holiness means. Here's that passage, 2 Corinthians 7 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. How do we know what to obey when it comes to God? Well, we'll listen to the pastor every Sunday morning as he shares the good news for us. Work, and we're also reading our Bibles uh, to, to know what we're supposed to do. And then number five, serve him, and this comes from Joshua 24, 15. Uh, Joshua, at the end of his life, you know, says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're, that's just what we're going to do. And that's what we need to do. And I like what Anne Graham Lotz, uh, Billy Graham's daughter, said. He called this, pursue more of his dirt on your hands. He noted just as Jesus was willing to get his hands dirty serving others willingly, humbly, obediently, and gladly, he expects us to do the same. Choose to serve other people whenever God calls you to. He continued, shift your focus from yourself and to Jesus and the people he wants you to serve. In doing so, your problems become less because you're thinking more about them. I used to be known as a Saturday servizer. I don't know when you write your sermons, Pastor, but I used to go on Saturday. I'm starting to believe a little bit. But Saturday was my day. Don't bother them on Saturday. All right, I was in the office. At that point, the door was closed. I didn't want anyone to bother me. Because right? I'm working on my Sunday. And I had a Sunday morning sermon, Sunday evening service, a Sunday school lesson. So there was a lot of stuff I needed to do. A radio program that I recorded that night. It was bizarre. And 
But anyway, Saturday sermonizer, and I remember coming out of my office to go to the bathroom at one point, and one of the ladies who was in charge of a ladies' function um, came up to me and said, would you mind sweeping off the pavilion? We had a pavilion on our property right side of the wall. And then she asked me if I would mind doing that. Now, how many here think that I said, yes, indeed, I will do it, and I'd like to do it? Let me see your hand. Thank you, Nola. <laughs> and then I got one more back there. And maybe perhaps, no, I didn't do it. I said, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I'm right involved in writing my show. What a stupid thing to do. They left the church. I don't blame them one bit for leaving the church. That is tough. Don't be like me. Serve God and serve other people. And if I had the opportunity to do it again, I certainly would do it. And uh, so, praise God. Or praise Jesus. Both ways. Hebrews 13, 15 through him. Then let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Praising him is something we did here today. And we do here every Sunday. You do here every Sunday. And, you know, the pandemic kind of put a clamper on things. And, and at, the, at the height of the plague, I understand it. No problem staying home, bedside Baptist, with your bathrobe, watching Pastor Justin preach. Um, and there are some people that still need to do that because of their physical condition. The rest of you, though, you need to be here. Right? This is where the praising of Jesus takes place every Sunday morning. You need to be here church. Uh, and let's get over that. Uh, but praise also happens during the day within our lives as well. I wake up with a tune in my head every morning. Excuse, every morning. Now, sometimes it's Peter, Paul, and Mary and Gary Puckett and the Union Gap. I must admit that. You have to be a certain age to understand what that means. Uh, but most of the time, it's a praise and worship song. You know, the songs we sang today, That'll stick in there, and I'll be singing or humming that song going over and over in my head. And, and that is praise to God, and we need to do that. The more you praise Him, the more of Him you get in your life. And study the life of Jesus, John 13, 15, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. 2 Peter 3, 18, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. The more we know about Christ, the more profoundly we will grasp all that he did. And the only way to know about him is his reason for it. Um, some 2,000 years later, after the time of Christ, his life and ministry remain just as relevant in our contemporary world. And a particularly study of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, will help us in this. Jesus' calling card was follow me. He meant that in salvation and commitment to him, but he also meant that in example. Follow him, follow his example. How do I follow his example? I have to study his word to find out what his example was so that I can be able to do that. I don't know if you've gotten into watching the Chosen uh, program. We can't wait for season three to start. Um, my problem is, when I think of the life of Christ, I think of planogram pictures that I saw back in the 1960s, all right? Well, now, through The Chosen, you're actually seeing scenes that can help change that a little bit. You have to understand, it's a backstory that they're making up, but the truth is being presented, and it, it's a good thing to do. I don't know if you're of that or not, Pastor, but they're ready to talk about it, but um, it's been 
study the life of Christ, the more of Jesus you will get. Number two, spend time in his word every day. 2 Timothy 2.15 would be a good one. Joshua 1.8 would be a good one as well. Um, you know that Jesus studied God's word too, right? It just didn't come to him. It could have. But he studied God's word. He, he had to. He had to read it because he was he was 100% human. He had to memorize it so that when he was attacked by the evil one on that 40 days during that temptation, he's using the word of God. This is stuff that he memorized. This is stuff that he knew from when he was a child. And, uh, and could we do that? Well, we should be able to. And, and we can if we study his word. The more of God's word that, that is in you, the more that you get of Jesus. Right? And then the number one is spend time in prayer. And Philippians 4, 6, and 7. As you know, Jesus spent a considerable amount of time in prayer, often withdrawing to lonely places to be by himself. You can only have a personal relationship with someone you spend time with. Did you catch that or how did it do past me? You can only have a personal relationship with someone you spend time with. You will not have a personal relationship with, with Jesus unless you spend time with him. That's what we need to do. And, and that is done through prayer. The Apostle Paul wrote, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God will surpass all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you have the peace of God? Do you want that? Right. Such an incredible privilege to be able to go to the throne of grace and to pray on a daily basis and throughout the day. Um, now you have to understand that everything you pray for doesn't happen. You may be praying that, that for your career and then you get laid off. Or, or you may be praying for healing of someone and, and then they die. But trust God anyway. Remember that his ways are not our ways and his will uh, will act according to what is best from his unlimited perspective in every situation. I quoted from Timothy Keller a while ago. Uh, he's now retired, and he did somewhat of an interview for World Magazine a couple months back. And um, he didn't sit down for an interview. They gave him questions. He answered them. The last question was, if there was anything that you have done, done differently, what would it be? And he said, That's the, uh, that's the prayer today, and we will 
And Lord, if somebody is here and they don't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that's step number one. 